0: We'll get started here this morning Romans chapter 8 and uh, we've got uh, quite a uh, full morning so we'll uh, get going here Romans 8 we, we are down to verse 36 but let's read in verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long Uh, section 2 here, we're at the end of a great, of, of a great chapter 8, uh, identification chapter, chapter 6, 7, and 8 here. And uh, just quickly, verse 35, who shall separate us? The, the issue there of uh, separating us from the love of Christ. That is not positionally. He's not talking about you're going to lose your salvation or you're going to lose who you are in Christ or any of that kind of thinking. Rather, being separated in the sense of not living under the consuming awareness and understanding of His great love for us. Okay? And that's really been the whole tenor here, starting in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Great question. What do we say to the tribulations that come in life, the persecution? What do we say to the things that happen in life? Here we sit. Everything's raining in on us. What's going on? Well, what do you say to that? How do you think about it? How do you respond to it? Do you fall to pieces and be a victim? Or do you come over here and and be a more than conqueror? Because verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's the result. Verse 38, he says, for I am persuaded. (laughs) Belief beyond doubt. There's no doubt that I'm persuaded of this. And so when Paul gets in here, he he has those seven questions that are there that he asks, all designed to to, uh, the four who statements, who shall separate us. All of those are the issues of, hey, there's an enemy, there's an adversary, The adversary is obviously Satan. Then we have the adversary of Satan, an enemy of Satan, and an enemy of his workers. And then you have yourself. Because yourself, you can think yourself into separating yourself from the great love that's here. And Paul, again, he's just, hey, don't do that. Let's have proper thinking. Let's have the thinking of a more than conqueror. Let's have the thinking of who we are in Christ, and let's have that victory thinking. And again, each section, this is all review because I wasn't here last week. (laughs) Each section ends on a victory note, victorious. And again, here we are ending on a victory note. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation. Now he's going to list some things that are going to come up in life, come up in time, that have the potential to cause us to not to to cause us to move off of his great love. So he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So you've got this issue of tribulation of personal hardships that come up, distresses, personal anxieties. You know, we get anxious about stuff. We get on the f- plane, and we haven't been on a plane in probably two years, three years, maybe since we flew. So it's like, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Because you have to wear the mask and all, and this and that, and do this and that. So natural anxiety builds in, you know, just of okay, what do, what what to expect here? And uh, so Linda's like, here's a Dramamine. I'm like, cool, thank you. Pop a pill, you know, and we're good because you don't know how you're going to respond. So, but this is more of a personal anxiety. It isn't a fluffy little thing of flying on an airplane. It's actually the anxiety of life throwing itself at you. Then he says persecution. There's the personal assault, where people are assaulting you personally. Then he talks about famine and nakedness. There's the personal economic hardship issues. And again, we're just reviewing from last time. Then you have peril. So now you have societal hardships where the society around you, the culture around you is anti-God, anti-Christ. Here you are trying to live as who you are in Christ and society now begins to bombard you. And in our country, we haven't had that. Uh, as an experience on too big of a deal until here recently it's beginning to kind of show up but people around the world uh, i get the little magazine voice of the martyrs and persecuted and stuff and you know people around the world that preach and teach that christ died for their sins was buried and rose again the third day they don't get up sunday morning sometimes (laughs) because they're dead saturday night you know because of they're persecuted for what they believe Actually, in this country, I was listening to a guy online in the news because I missed it and I went back to replay the story. They are, you, you know, how uh, the administration is doing that mandated face wearing thing? They are not excusing religious exemptions. American Airlines, they just did a thing here, 600 and something employees or whatnot. And they were not excusing the doctor exemption nor the religious exemption. Now, if you think about that, oh, big deal, whatever. But, but if you think about what that religious exemption always was our kind of escape route to, to do, not anymore. What's happening? Slowly going away. So now we have a, we have a peril coming, a societal hardship and that leads into the sword, which is Romans 13, when we get over there, and that's a governmental hardship. Now the government's doing what? No longer doing, relig- you can't exempt yourself religiously anymore, okay? Again, in our country, we've never really seen this until here lately. And again, it's just that shift in our culture. And uh, next hour, hopefully I can get through the 50 verses I gave you. <laughs> I knew I'd get a chuckle out of the front row. At the Bible conference, uh, Brian, Brian, Brandon Smith, he's a pastor out of uh, Warren, Michigan. He's like, I can't beat Rick for verses per minute. So, because we were flying through some verses pretty good. So I I told him, I said, I got to go back and count because I know how many, and he was like, you are a lot. So I'm like, okay. Anyway, this list here, this list can scare you. It can overwhelm you it can cause you to pause and say, wait a minute, does God really love me? Look at what's going on, the great thing. Why does bad things happen to good people? Well, why do they happen to you and I? Well, we know what. We know from chapter 8 that we have this connection to the curse creation, the bondage of corruption. But now we're learning in verse 35, really to 39, that we have a persecution about us that is because of our connection to Christ and who we are in Christ. And as we live in society and culture, as we live in our community, as who we are in Christ, guess what's going to come up? Trouble, persecutions, distresses, tribulations. So now, again, verse 31, the first question, what shall we say to this? How do you think about these things? And what Paul's going to drive home here? through the whole of this chapter, starting in verse 18, is we ought to be thinking about this. We ought to be operating based on faith, not fear, not worry, because what do we know? Well, we know that we are the sons of God. We know, verse 24, we have a hope. We know, verse 26, we have a helper. We We know this. And he demonstrates the great love that God has for us By looking at, look at what he did in the past. What did he do? He spared not his son. He killed him. He delivered him up. He crucified him. He he didn't hold back his wrath. There was no exemption for Christ. He paid for it. Now look at the future. Hey, verse uh, uh, 28 there, according to his, the call, according to his purpose. We have this future plan, this future purpose that we're going to fulfill. We got that hope. Look at what he's doing. So if he loved you enough back here and he loves you enough out here then he sure enough loves you where right now and that's the point here that's what he's pushing home because this issue of our suffering God left us in this creation that's been under the bondage of corruption that's the word I was trying to get out because we have a job to do our ambassadorship we have a work of ministry to do and because of that, he left us here, but he didn't leave us, just go, you're on your own. Rather, he comes in and says, here's who you are, he equips you, and he gets you ready. Now, all that was reviewed from two weeks ago. Verse 36 is where we left off. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, this, this verse here... <laughs> How is he for us? We are accounted as what? Sheep for the slaughter. So how in the world is he for us? Well, look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. How is he for us? We're, in verse 35, we go down that list. Verse 36, we're accounted for sheep to the slaughter. We'll talk about that here. But then he does he doesn't just leave it at that. He says what? nay, you're, In all things, you're what? More than a conqueror. So he is for you. Now, you have to notice verse 36 very carefully. As it is written. Notice it doesn't say for it is written. It says as it is written. And that's key. It's critical here. Because that's their, that means... The, it, For and as are different. If Paul had said, for it is written, then he would be saying that what was written in Psalms 44 is being fulfilled today in time. We don't fulfill Israel's program. We're going to go back to Psalms 44 here in a minute. We have nothing to do with Israel's program, the little flock. So, but it doesn't say that. It says what? As it is written. That as and so. That comparison, the contrast. There's a parallel here. And what Paul is going to do here is he's going to go back to Psalms 44. And again, he's not saying that what's true of Israel is now being fulfilled today in the body of Christ. But rather... Look at Israel. There's a parallel here. By the way, Paul does this quite often. He will go back he'll pull you and he'll say, remember 1 Corinthians 10, one of the ignorant brethren statements, thinking about Moses and we're all under the sea, and how you look back and you look at Israel as that, that example of how not to follow the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Look at what they did. You don't do that either. That's what he's doing here. He's drawing a parallel and that's incredibly important here. Because, if it, again, if it said for, then what is it? It's being fulfilled. T- actually, it's been fulfilled in Romans, in, in Paul's day. But it isn't. It's an as, it's a parallel. Look at these guys, and then let's pull from the scripture for us. So let's go back to Psalms 44. Because verse 36 is a quote of Psalms 44, verse 22 but we need to go back to Psalms 44, okay? And Psalms 44, if you look here at verse 15, Psalms forty-four fifteen, 15. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my faiths have covered me. Now, Psalms 44 is talking about the little flock. You have the little flock in a state of confusion. You see that? My confusion is continually before me. There's something happening to the little flock that they're not understanding. They're not getting. They're struggling with it. Go back to verse 1. And it's important to kind of catch this. So verse 1, we have heard With our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. What have they heard? The word and the works of God. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm saved them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Notice what's happening there. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hate us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever, Selah. And I'll remind you that Selah there triggers to what are we talking about? What's to go back up into the doctrine, Israel, remember the doctrine, but it's also a trigger for you and I to know that we're talking about the 70th week of Daniel and the second coming of Christ. But what did they do? We saw what you did in the past. What did they do in the past? Remember, Moses gets them right up to the promised land. They send the 12 spies in. 10 say no, 2 say let's go. God says nope, boom, he delays it. Then they go in, but when they go in, what does they do? What does God do? Right in front of them, delivers um, from their enemies. They see all that. Why? Because they're God's people. What did he promise them in the Abrahamic covenant? Everything. You see, Israel here, look at verse verse 5. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will, notice that, not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword. That's the language of faith. They're trusting in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're trusting in the word of God. What did he say? Hey, if you obey me and obey my commandments and do my word, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, I'm painting the picture here of the little flock. What are they? They're in the 70th week of Daniel. They're in the middle of it. Are they having a trip to the beach? Not at all. They didn't go spend two weeks in Hawaii. (laughs) They were were seven years in hell. They're persecuted. You go read in Revelation, the overcomers and the martyrdom and all that they're going to have to go through. They aren't living a life of ease. They're under trouble, but yet, who are they? They're God's people. And wait a minute, this should not be happening to us. Why is this happening to us? Remember in and, and, well, in Isaiah and some of the other prophets, as well as in Revelation, the saints are crying, how long, Lord? How long are you going to let them kill us? How long? When are you going to come back and avenge the blood of your servants? How long? That's where, that's where we're at here. Look at verse 9. But thou hast cast off and put us to shame and goest not forth with our enemies. Thou makest us armies, sorry, with our armies. I was already in verse 10. Sorry. <laughs> Thou makest us to turn back from the the enemy, and they which hate us spoil for themselves. God's not with them. Something's going on. What's happening here? Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat. Thou hast scattered us among the heathen. Thou sellest thy people for naught and and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbor, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. Look at that. They're sheep scattered. The opposite of what God had promised them is what's happening. By the way, when he says us a byword, it's a joke. They're just a joke. They're shaking their heads, you know. What? What does the world when Paul uses this in, in Romans 8, what, does the, what is the world's estimation of you and I? We're fools. They're just sheep for the slaughter. You know, a sheep for the slaughter. Sheep have a reputation of being dumb animals. just go wherever they're led. Sheep. They're, what do you mean you guys believe in a dead Jew that hung on a tree on a cross? What kind of nonsense is that? And they just, what, and again, that's the world's perspective. That's what's happening here with these guys. God's people in the past here find themselves in utter confusion and chaos. They're shaking their heads, verse 14. They don't get what's happening. Verse 15, my confusion is continually before me. And the notice that, shame of my face hath covered me. Shame, as, as they go through the situations and the circumstances here that they're presented with, you know what, they're ashamed. Now, that's bad thinking for them. They should never have thought that, because who are they? They're God's people. They should never be ashamed of that. Yet, what are they? They're ashamed of it. Verse 17. Well, verse 16, for the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. No, look at that. All of this is going on, and yet where do they stand? Right where they should be. They don't get what's going on. They're not quite sure. But what, did they, what, what are they doing? They're standing fast. They're calling out to Jehovah. They're calling out to the Messiah, to their deliverer, to their King, and saying, "How long are you going to How long are you waiting on this? Come on back." Verse eighteen: Our heart is not turned back; neither have our steps declined from Thy way. They're faithful. The language of faith here. Here's a little flock. You know what they're saying? We're faithful. We love you, we believe you, we trust you, we're dependent upon you. But why are we suffering so? Why? And it's beginning to impact their thinking. Now think about the parallel to you and I. We're in a similar situation, aren't we? We got the Word of God, we know who we are, we love Him, we know He loves us, we depend on Him, He... And we know he values us, yet why in the world am I still going through this nonsense? And you know what? That's bad thinking. It's the wrong thing to be thinking. I, I told you a couple weeks ago, that knee-jerk reaction is what? Why me, O oh Lord? What have I ever done? <laughs> why? Why? What, what, is, what, are, what should we say? Based on Romans 8, I know why, I'm, well, I know why this has happened. So I can confidently, securely say, he's for me. He loves me. Not a a question. Verse 19. Again, just as they fall victim to shame and confusion and ask, why am I suffering? Does God care for me? Does he love me? You and I fall in the same boat. By, By the way, do you know why? Who's Israel? Man. They're men. They're humanity. Who are we? Same. (laughs) We're all cut from the same cloth. We all have the same issues in our thinking. We just have a resolve here. Now watch them, verse 19. Though though thou hast sore broken us in the the place of of dragons, and covered us with the shadow of death, Isn't that interesting? Doom and... If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me, the old song says. If we have forgotten the name of our Lord or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Now, they're not doing verse 20. When he says, talks there about the place of the dragons and the shadow of death, who's the dragon in the Bible? The, ad, the adversary personified in the Antichrist. And what's he going to cause to happen one day in the midst of the week? The mark of the beast is going to come on. And the, if you take the mark, you're done. You're toast. There's no way out from that. That is the sin <laughs> That's good for, those, for these folks. And you know what? He says we have if we have forgotten the name of our god or stretched out our hands to a they hadn't done that shall not god search this out What's he doing? He's searching their hearts. In Romans 5 and in Romans 8 what have we learned? God the father does what? searches the heart looking for the mind of the spirit, the things of the spirit. Again, a comparison You see, folks, God is interested in your inner man, not your outer man. Uh, Hold on to Psalms here. Run with me to Philippians chapter 2. Just Philippians chapter 2. So just as that little, hold on to Psalms 44, though. We're going to come right back. Look at Philippians 2.13. Because if you can remember this verse in the midst of the turmoil, it would help you greatly. 2.13, for it is God which worketh, what's those next two words? In you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Where does he work? In you. He ain't working on you. He's working where? In you. uh, Psalms 44.21, he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Where's he working? Where's he working in the little flock? In them. In their hearts, where's he working for you and I? Same place, in our hearts. Now look at verse 22, because here's Romans 8. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. The little flock begins to understand what's happening. They begin to understand the the, the... the horrors of the 70th week of Daniel. They're catching on to it. Why? They got his word. They got Daniel. Daniel knows he's predicted. He says, hey, out there, they're gonna have hey, they got the word. They get back into the word. They haven't left it. They haven't forgotten it. They haven't forsaken him. They're just asking the wrong question. It's kind of like when the apostles in Acts 1 ask him, Are you gonna start the kingdom up now? Is it time to get the kingdom back? His answer is no, it's not it's not for you to know the time. And everybody says, see, they were ignorant, but they were not ignorant of the times. He was reminding, he's reminding them of the delay principle in Israel's history picture, if you will. Because what did they they had a job to do for a year to go do? Now it's time. By the way, verse 23: awake, awake, why sleepest thou? O Lord, arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore, hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our... See the questions? How long? Where are you, Lord? We haven't forgotten you. Don't forget us. You see, this is where we're at in Romans 8. So when you come back to Romans 8, where Paul quotes this passage and pulls out this We are accounted, uh, as it is written, for thy sake. We are killed all the day long. We too understand what's happening today in the dispensation of grace. What's going on? Why are we left here? We are, who are we? We're the sons of God. We're dead to sin. We're dead to the law. We're alive to Christ. We're alive to the Father. We have, we're dead to the sp- flesh. We're alive in the Spirit. The power center is the Spirit. And we have this job to go do. And we have a hope. We have a helper. We have all of this equipping. So we should never ask, why? We should just say, because. Now we're going to respond This way. We understand that God has left us on the earth. We are understanding our connection to the sin curse, and we're beginning to understand our connection to who we are in Christ. Uh, If you come back there to Philippians, I know I told you Romans, just real quick Philippians 1. (coughs) Philippians 1. If you look there at verse 29, Philippians 1 29. For unto you, it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to what? Suffer for His sake. So that's where we're at at the end here of Romans 8. We're suffering now. Now go back to Romans 8. So you got verse 36. What's the view? By the way, who would have? Who would? Who would love to see us sheep to the slaughter? Who would love to have that happen? The adversary does. The enemy does. How do you know that, verse 37? Nay, guess what? God's for you. You see all these things, the list in verse 35 and 36 there, all, of, all those things. You see all that's going on in the chapter, all that we've looked at, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, all those things that we've been talking about over, by the way, this is lesson 91, and we're just in chapter 8. And uh, I was talking to uh, Josh, the pastor there in Twin Cities, and he's got like 800 lessons through Romans. And I'm like, whew, at least it's not me. (laughs) You know, that's a lot. But he does a lot of things in it. But anyway, so all the stuff that we've been looking at, and by the way, we're not even in verse 38 and 39 yet. We'll get there next week. All of that, and nay, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I love that. Nay. No. You're not sheep for the slaughter. You're a son of God. You're an adult in the family of God. No, The world's perspective is, 1 Corinthians 1, foolishness. The preaching of the cross is foolish to them that believe not. It's just stupidity. It's ignorance. What do you mean you sit on a Sunday morning from 9.30 to 12.30 studying your Bible? What do you mean you read the Bible? (laughs) What did you mean you went and just spent a weekend in Minnesota, of all places? What are you talking about? No, nay, in all these things. We are not just conquerors. A conquer is to be to be a conquer is to bring an end to the ad- adversity. Okay, to conquer it means it's done, it's over. But now God is saying to not only we're not it's not about bringing an end to the adversity because adversity doesn't end until what death or the resurrection. Okay? But rather, you're a more than conqueror. You're a super conqueror. So you're not just, win- yesterday, football game, Alabama conquered uh, Ole Miss. Arizona State conquered UCLA. Yeah. Why? The game had a start, and it had an end. The adversary's over. What happens after the end of those ball games? They shake hands. In the NFL, they're talking to each other. They're catching up. I always wonder what they're saying to each other, you know. Because in the game, they're killing each other. And then as soon as the game's over, what are they? They're hugging. They're, hey, we're going to go to dinner. We're going to do this. And I'm sitting there going, you guys, man, you know, I don't know. I'd have been off the field. Just, just let's go home. I don't like them, Period. You know, and there are some that are that way. But the point is, is you're a more than. The more than part. You know, so if you're a conqueror, you end the, ad, you end the adversity t- to your benefit. You win. But rather what's going to happen here as we move forward is that there is, a, there is the victory. But God is, we're going to learn now that we are to take the adversity and exploit it. And we're to use it for our eternal benefit. So no matter what comes up at us, what are we going to do? We're going to conquer it. We're going to have victory. But we're to take that victory and we're to exploit it. We're to use it for our benefit. So if you come over, just catch the idea. We've talked about 1 Timothy 4. We've talked about this before, but just to remind you, in Romans 8, Paul's not de- de- uh, divulging all of the details. He's just laying in the premise. Here's the thesis, here's the thought. He's going to develop it out later. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, those pastoral epistles, Paul comes in, and the theme of those four books is godliness, godlikeness. Philippians are first Timothy four, verse eight, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. So right now, what can I what will profit me? Godliness, right here, right now. And of that which is to come. I got a future godliness in heavenly places. First Timothy chapter six. 1 Timothy six. In verse 6, but godliness, now watch, coupled with contentment. Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. So now I have a way to think about godliness. Is godliness profitable? Yeah. Right now in time and out over in the ages to come. Now, come back to 2 Corinthians 4, a verse we've looked at. Probably you should have it memorized by now. But godliness with contentment, where do I have that? I have that right now. In Philippians there, Paul talks about I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Food and raiment, be content. That's First Timothy 6, 7, the next verse. Food and raiment So all you got to worry about. Why? When you die, you leave. I said that last weekend, and one of the guys came up to me, and he goes, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer behind it? And I'm like, no, but that's a great idea. I'll make people think, wouldn't it? You know, uh, why? Because you don't take the stuff with you. It would be empty. But I, I you know what? I think I'm going to adjust my directions. We're going to have a, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to have a good day. But the thing is, is contentment. By the way, in the heavenly places, what are you going to be? You're going to be in your position of, a, of rank. Of, but you're going to be what? Content. You're going to have contentment. You can learn it now in time, and then it's going to be applied over in the future. 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Again, God's not going to remove the issue. He's He's not going to rip you off with the opportunity to have an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's going to allow you to go through it, equip you to go through it, so you can bear it and you can get down through it. You can then turn around, 2 Corinthians 1, and help others in the similar case because you've been been through it, worked down. By the way, ever notice, now go back to Romans 8. Have you ever noticed that when you go through a problem in life, when it comes back around, you handle it a little better. Why? Cuz I've already been through it. I've been through the potholes. Now I can navigate the potholes. That's the idea. Romans 8:37. Nay, in all these things. The the these things go back to verse 35. And notice how to be a more than conquer in these things. Go back with me. First one is tribulation. Go back to chapter 5 of Romans. Romans th- 5 verse 3. We've already seen this in our understanding. Romans 5 verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations what? worketh. They work for us. What are they going to work for us? Patience Patience experience and experience hope. It's for your eternal benefit. God again, He doesn't remove it. He says what? You've got the Holy Spirit. Let him help you. Again, remember, help. Pick up his pick up one end of the table. If you got a boulder, you get on that side, I'll get on this side, and we're gonna latch arms and we're gonna work together. I was in U-Haul a couple months ago. And they got these straps now, I've never seen them, that go up underneath the furniture. They got a picture of a guy moving a refrigerator by himself, using this strap. I'm like, yeah, no way. Not this back. Not me. No. Uh-uh. No, it's, but what? Do you, you pick up, the Spirit says, I got this side, you get that side, I'm going to do what? Help you. And we spent time looking at how he helps us through the word. So in tribulation, how should I view this? It's going to do what? Work for me. It's going to bring in some, some eternal benefit in me. Come over to 2 Corinthians 1. The next one is distress. Distress, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. Think about, he says, nay, in all these things, that list there, we are more than conquerors. God says, look, you are a super conqueror. Use that tribulation for To your eternal benefit, exploit it. Get excited about it. I know what you think. How in the world can you get excited about tribulation? Well, you can when you have what? That divine perspective about it, that viewpoint of looking at it going, hey, look, this can work for me, and I can do this. You know the old thing. You can do it. That's the whole thing here. Distress, Second Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God is the Father of all comfort. Paul goes on down and talks about how he had the sentence of death and near death, and yet he was what? comforted through it so that he can then come and comfort us. You see, we're to view life as a what? As that super conqueror, a more than conqueror. Uh, Come over to Romans, back to Romans 12. Persecution, that uh, personal anxiety uh, that comes to us. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the personal assault. Distress was the anxiety. Romans 12. Romans 12, in Romans 12 through 16, the last section, Paul brings out here, okay, you got all the doctrine, the first 11 chapters, now you have a reasonable service to go do, and when you go do that reasonable service, it's going to be in this realm, and he begins to lay out our relationship with other believers, our relationship with the world, our relationship with the government, our relationship with... uh, uh, our neighbor our relationship with the weaker brother and he began so when you think about having a reasonable service it isn't the mission field sorry now nothing wrong with the mission field good deal but that's not your reasonable service is where where you live where your family is where your job is the community you're in if you're retired and so forth you got where where are you there's your reasonable service So he talks here in verse 17, recompense to no man, evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. So now he's talking about our relationship with who? All men, not just a specific group, but with everybody. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, Again, thine enemy, you've got personal assault, you've got the persecution, you've got got an attack happening here. What are we to do? Verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that interesting? What are we to do? We're to love them. Not, don't hate them. Love them. Christ would have all men get saved. By the way, if he's your enemy and he's unsaved, which is the connotation here, then he gets saved, what does he become? A brother or a sister in Christ. So he's no longer your what? Your enemy, your viewpoint changes. You see, so now you don't need all the other. You just need to do what? How the have that more than conquer perspective? I can turn this. I can exploit this to my eternal benefit. I can love them. Don't hate them. God says what? Love them. You know that's why when we talk about evangelism, I always tell you. Always ask that question, has anyone ever loved you enough to ask you, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Has anyone ever, what, loved you enough? Okay? Come over to Philippians 4. The famine and the nakedness, that economic peril, that economic hardship. And, you know, this is becoming more and more an issue here of late if you think about in our society with what has happened over the last year two years now economic and personal economic hardship is a is a key it's a biggin you know and now with all the uh, job mandate things coming down the pipe and everything it's going to just get worse and when that happens well what should my response be how should I handle this Well, Philippians 4, verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished. Again, look at that, flourished what? Again, they have been trying to take care of Paul since day one. Down in verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessities. You know what they're doing? They're taking care of the preacher. He's important. Now, he's their apostle in those cases. He actually uses them to the Corinthians to shame them. These guys are in deep poverty. You look over there in, in, in Corinthians, when, in 1 Corinthians uh, 16 and so forth, when he talks about the collection of the, for the poor saints and stuff, and, 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 and in 2 Corinthians uh, 9 and 8 and 9 there when he talks about this, and he uses the Philippians, those in Macedonia, as a, as a hey man, they're in deep poverty. They're having a, but yet what did they do? They sent a love offering, they sent to his necessities, they sent a care box, they were taking care of things. Now, look at verse 10. But ye lacked opportunity. Verse 11, I'm sorry. Not that I speak in respect of want. That's very careful how Paul says that. Paul says, I'm not begging. I'm not out here asking for a handout. By the way, he says that in verse 17, not because I desired a gift, but I desired fruit that may abound to your account. You see that? He goes, I wasn't out here asking. I'm not raising money. For a trip. Verse 11, for I have what? Learned. You see, the issue of contentment is a learned thing. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Notice that I can you can do this. You can take famine and nakedness, per, economic hardships and you can turn it. And you turn it by having the proper mindset through who you are in Christ that you have all the riches you're going to ever need, all the wealth in him. So you look over here and you say, "You know what? I have been instructed. I have learned. To do what? Know that when I die, and the Lord comes back, and takes resurrection day happens, that that stuff is sticking here. You know, it ain't going. It's not going with me. You know, the old bumper sticker. He with the most things at the end wins. Well, he doesn't. He loses all of it. But things are nice, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. Okay. It, by the way, Paul, First Timothy six, he says that God has freely given us all things to richly enjoy. He's not talking about having things. He's talking about what consumes you, what is consuming your thought process. Then the last uh, thing in that list is peril and sword. Come back to Romans 13. The sword, peril, society, culture, and the sword. The sword is a reference to government and to the government oppression. And in Romans 13, the first seven verses, Paul deals with how our mindset should be toward government. If you look at verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. You see that word soul? Romans 13, 1. This is an inner man issue. This is an issue of your heart. This is an issue of your thinking process, your evaluating of the facts and, and how you think down through something. This is not an issue for your emotions. Now, in the political world, it's all emotion-based. You look at stuff. I, you know, my Facebook, I try to keep it for my truck redo and light things. and re- But, you know, it still pops up, and I have friends and so forth. And you know what? They are completely operating out of emotion. Oh, no, I'm not Rick. I've been through a conversation or two with someone. No, this is the facts. I go, yeah, what about these facts? And I produce some things that are contrary to what they said. I said, so now what do we do? Now we based on what? How we feel about this. Well, I'm not going to have the government tell me what to do. Well, I am. Okay, now what do we do? We, We have a Stalemate, don't we? So now the emotion is going to take in. As a believer, the emotion shouldn't take in. What should be the thought process? I'm going to pray for these guys. I'm going to remember the structure system. I'm going to pray for them that that way I can live a quiet and peaceable life. And you know, you bring in all those verses. See, But the, the people are like, well, we need an answer. But I just gave you an answer. The problem is it's not the answer you're looking for and you want. So what takes over? The emotion, the bad thinking, and the next thing you know, what has happened to you in your thinking? You now are looking at it and saying, you know what? If God loved me, he would have never allowed this government to be to happen. Now, he, now you've done separated yourself from the love of God. You follow that? I got nothing against the government. The government's the government. I think about what if we lived in China? What if we lived in India? What if we lived somewhere other than this wonderful country? You know this country's still wonderful, don't you? People are still beating down the doors to get in. There's a reason that nobody's running to Venezuela. There just they're isn't. I mean if you studied the history of Venezuela and what's happened to them over the last 25 years, nobody is beating their door down to go down there. Third richest country in the world, turned upside down because they want to help and give and they bring in an institution a system that is a failure. The problem is, is none of that's ever taught to our young people. So the young people come in and what do they think? That's a grand idea. Until before long, guess what they no longer have? All their gadgets. How do you know that? Look at Cuba. Look at Venezuela. Guess what they don't have down there? Gadgets. Can't afford them. And the government has done what? Clamped down, etc. You understand that. What should our attitude be? Well, Romans 13 gives you a great insight into it. But also, Romans 8 gives us a great insight to it as well. Because what do we know? Those kind of conversations are going to be used by the adversary to cause you to do what? To be separated from the love of God, from the love of Christ. Now, get two passages. We'll do this quickly, I hope. Get 2 Corinthians 4 again. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 38, 838. You see, folks, we're to view life as a super conqueror. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Just look at verse 7. We're 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 to view life with the divine perspective. What is God doing today? He's seeing people get saved, see them come to the knowledge of the truth, see people get saved, become members of the body of Christ, and learn what that entails. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not what? distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You see the list in Romans 8 there? And then you see how Paul is applying the correct way to think about this? Verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. What a way to think about the details of life. Now come back to Romans 8. Because that's the way to think about it. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're a super conqueror. Through him that loved us. Not in your energy of your own flesh. Remember what Psalms 44? I don't trust in my own bow. I don't trust in my own sword. I trust where? In you, Jehovah. Nisi, Refechi, all those. Jehovah, all of it. That's where I'm putting my trust. Why? Because you loved us. You gave us your word. You gave us the promises. You gave us all of this. And even though we might not quite clearly see the horizon and what's going on, we know you'll you'll accomplish what you told us you will do. Now look in verse 38, 39. For I am persuaded. Think about that. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, there's ten things in that list. And these are ten specific entities that are going to come up against us. And I say entities, and I'll explain it here in just a second. But we need to be persuaded. We need to believe it beyond a doubt. No question about it. There's no enemy, there's no calamity in life that should ever lead us to think negatively about the intense love that God has for you and I. <coughs> he's fully invested in us in the past. Look at Calvary. He's fully vested us in eternity future. Look at His purpose in the heavenly places. And so He's therefore in, intensely, fully invested in the present. And what Paul is going to do is list some some entities here, some events that from a worldly perspective appear to be devastating, troubling to you and I. Think about this. He just gave us seven areas that can lead the believer to be separated in their thinking from the love of God. And functioning in life as who they should be and where they should be. From living life, the life of Christ, in their daily life. And now here he's going to list some entities that are going to be behind the areas that could dislodge you from that deeper understanding of how much God truly loves you. The ten, they, they naturally fall out into a, a, a categories, natural groupings. Notice death nor life. Angels, principalities, and powers. Things present, things to come. They, they naturally group together height and depth. Nor any other, now notice that word, creature. Okay? That's the key. In this list, is that any other creature? In understanding what are these ten specific ideas, we need to understand that they involve creatures, tribulation, persecution. That personal—that's people. These now are angels. Think about that. Angels, a creature. Principalities and powers. Ephesians six. We have rulers of darkness. Where in those positions of authority up in the heavenly places? There's creatures there. What was what was Lucifer? He's a cherub. He's a creature. He's gonna transform himself into an angel of light. By the way, he's not an angel. He's a what? He's a cherub. An angel brings the message from God. What is Lucifer looking at you doing? I have a message from God for you. Just a wrong message. Follow that? So when we get into this, the list here are entities with creatures operating in these areas. And uh, again, the time's up, the, the hour's up. But we'll get into all that next time, kind of bring Romans 8 to an end maybe. I don't know, we'll see. Okay? But the issue here is nothing can separate you. I, let me just say it this way. Nothing should separate ever in your thinking cause you to doubt God's intense, deep love for you. You should never look at something and say, why me, Lord? Why don't you love me? Because obviously he what? He loves you. We just have some bad thinking. We have that knee-jerk reaction of me. Why me? That thing in Psalms 44 is very instructive i we don't trust in ourselves that little flock they had it they understood it okay all right the only father we thank you for the morning lord we thank you for your word and above all lord we thank you for who we are in your son for the instructions here in romans 8 and the identification of that and just your great love for us in your name we pray amen all right